answer your question, Greg, we should already be saying goodbye. Thank you very much. Kev, he will not be there four years from now. There's just, there's no way. I don't put it past, I don't put it past these people, man. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. Today, I'm joined once again by Kefren Fuller, and of course, we're going to be recapping and going over the U.S. packing its bags, leaving the World Cup, coming back home, while the Netherlands advance in the tournament. We touch a whole wide range of topics on this one, so I'll keep the intro quite brief. But to give you a little bit of a teaser, obviously we talk about the match. We talk about the age-old excuse of being a quote-unquote young team and whether that is indeed an excuse for the United States or not. We continue into exploring whether the Dutch gave the U.S. the ball, meaning they ceded possession to the United States, or did the U.S. impose its will and asserted its role as protagonist of the match? And at this point, what are the expectations for the U.S.? For 2026, what's next for this U.S. men's national team? Should Burr Halter continue as the manager? I mean, another question. Is there a diversity of ideas in American soccer? Or is there principally one calcified U.S. ideology? There's a chat on whether MLS is destroying the work of great coaches in our country. We also touch on African football. We touch on whether the Netherlands will defeat Argentina or vice versa, and much more. At this point, you get the idea we had a wide-ranging conversation. So I'll stop there, and I hope you enjoy. And now, a quick few second mentions on what sponsors this episode. It's the best way to support the podcast, but more important, greatly improve your current soccer situation. First, if you're a coach, you've got to check out 343coaching.com. There are both free and premium programs for you there. The premium program in particular gives you full access to watch and listen to players, teams, and coaches in the real-life training environment. Now, what I mean by that is that the film and audio are not staged or scripted, such as what you would get at a conference or a typical course or video online. No, no, no. You get to be a legit fly-on-the-wall and steady Brian, who basically helped pioneer a seismic shift in American soccer on how to develop youth players at every level. Among the many now professional players who were under his direct tutelage across many teams, one team in particular, which he started at U10 and led through U19, really stands out. Over a handful of players on that team became professionals. It's incredible work. And the actual training of that team and those players is what you get to use to catapult your coaching. Okay, second, let's say you're not a coach but you're a parent of a youth player looking for how to best put them on a proper path. The solution for you guys is at 343masterclass.com. And third, if you'd consider going to a private school for academics, either here in the States or in Europe, that also has an integrated soccer program, you should check out acceleratorschool.com. Critically important, the solutions for coaches, for parents, and for players are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode. We're just scratching the surface here, folks, but it's an important starting point for us to further expand down the line. I'm doing good, man. I'm very happy because, check this out. Yeah. 
Is it starting early or ending late? Which one? No, it's ending late for me. Listen, it's twelve thirty, yeah. so that's not late, late. Yeah. But I just been working all night, and then I went to a little restaurant here that I always go to to get some work done, have a couple of drinks, and so it's been about two hours of a couple glasses of wine. So I'm happy at the moment. Nah, that's good, man. That's good. We're waiting, you know, in the next couple hours, getting ready for the next matches here, man. So should be a good one. I have some U.S. boys here, too. They just left. Uh, today was all well, yesterday and today. They finally just left back to America. But, you know, it was kind of unique for them to be able to watch the World Cup and, and Holland was playing USA. So it's almost almost probably like a once-in-a-lifetime experience kind of thing. That might actually be a good piece of advice for people over here who are always, hey, how can I get my kid to level up or how can I myself as a parent or whatever level up? Just go to another country while there's a big soccer event occurring, whether it be the Euros or the World Cup or whatever, and just experience the game through that. You know, you don't even have to go to matches. Just go to restaurants or bars or whatever the case may be. Would you agree? A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. There's just a different feeling, you know. I think it's, um, you get to feel the passion, but you also get to feel like how they feel about the team. Like there's a certain, like right now, Holland, after this U.S. game, Finally, everyone's kind of pepped up now, right? Because mm -hmm. now they're playing with house money because they're about to meet you guys, right? Mm -hmm. so, uh, yes. Now they're like, all right, look, we lose the Messi, we lose the Messi. But you know, and in, in Argentina. But before, it was like, uh, this game, it was very, very, it was very anxious because it's just, there's not a, I don't want to say a lot of love for the team, but you know, Dutch, Dutch people, and I'm not just saying because I'm married to one, they're very critical people, very critical, yeah. and very critical about the, the style of play and, and, this is not, if, you know, rest in peace. If Johan Cruyff was alive, he'd be ripping this team apart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he would be saying there needs to be a revolution right now in all of the development. He wouldn't, he would almost cast, even if they make the final and they do, you remember in 2010 when Holland made the final and they played Spain? Yes. Yes. Like, he was like, he was like Holland. He said Spain was Holland and, and, and Holland was not Holland. So even if they won it, you know, they celebrated it a little bit in 2000. That's what's interesting. I mean, I guess we'll get into it, but that's what's interesting is that Holland really, the country celebrated the win. The analysts didn't, the critics didn't, but the country actually celebrated, uh, not the win, sorry, the, the second place finish. They really did in 2010. And it's been interesting to see kind of Dutch development and what's come after that, because that was actually the last generation. I know Van Persen and Robin played in 2014, but that was the last generation of some guys who were kind of at top level really contributing. There's not, for European standards, Holland's kind of, uh, you know, they have some players that are not performing at the highest level in Europe right now. This is kind yeah, of a so, so, so many things to dig into that. Yeah. Uh, one is, obviously, I'm a big fan of having a hypercritical fan base because I think it really pushes the federation, it pushes the domestic league, it pushes the domestic clubs, it pushes everybody in the ecosystem to try to be the best that they can be versus a fan base that's like, oh, it's all good, you know, we're rebuilding. <laughs> it's a young team. We'll nope. get them, we'll get them four years from now, sort of thing. Like that is, that is like the worst yeah. possible situation. Yeah. But aside from that, I'm curious about what you just said about players not playing at the highest level, but off the top of my head, right? You have Frankie the Young, yeah. you have 
Pie. You're they're both at Barcelona. Sure, Barcelona's not Pep's Barcelona. They're not winning Champions Leagues or whatever, but it's still Barcelona. And then you have Virgil van Dijk, right? And then you have Timber at Ajax. And okay, you can say, well, Ajax isn't like winning Champions Leagues, but it's still Ajax. Yeah, you know? true. And, and 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 you think so you think about the roster of the Netherlands, it's they aren't scrubs, right? Necessarily. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you can comment on that. Yeah, it, uh, you know, I, it, I like your tweet when you said this is not your father's Netherlands or Holland, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Holland would come into the tournament, and before Spain took off, after Brazil, Argentina, Holland was everybody it, for Europe was everybody's team that everyone wanted to see. They, you know, if you probably talk to South Americans, they say Holland is the one that played closest to our style, right? You would say that they they had. They, they played possession, they had a structure, but there was always flavor. There was always individual players mixed in with their style of play. And, you know, you'd read articles, the Brazilians of Europe are, is, are the Dutch. You had that, you know, you just saw some cultural influences, right? And Holland is also a country that's, it's, it's low-key very mixed, right? You've been here and, like, even, I mean, I'll see white blonde guys with extremely curly hair. And I'm like, where does this, this come from? You see all these different mixes. My wife is white, but she's Indonesian, and you wouldn't know that. But if you go to a family reunion, it's like, She's the only white person there. Everybody yeah. is Indonesian. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Van Persie was Indonesian. People maybe didn't know that. You know, it's it's a very kind of mixed country and culture. So that, I think that contributed a lot to the football. Spain used to be in control of the country. I don't know if people knew that. Um, so that, that there, there's a mixture of cultures here where I think that aided the, the, the football play. But then with that being said, it, I don't know with the development since, since those times of, you know, someone was asking me, they asked me in the paper, why did you fall in love with Arsenal? Was it because of Thierry Henry? I said, no, that was because of David Bergkamp. Mm. The goal, the famous goal he scored against Argentina. Yeah. I saw that goal. I'd never seen, I'm, I think 11 or 12 at that moment, maybe 11. And when he scored that goal, I was like, and, and the time that he did it, the technique, I couldn't believe it. It was like, it was something out of a, or a movie, something, you know, a superhero being such a young kid watching that. And I remember I was like, I'm, I'm with the Dutch. That was even before I met my Dutch coach. I was like, I'm a Dennis Bergkamp fan. And so you see that, and they had that level of technical quality. So I was actually speaking with um, former Ajax uh, youth coach, and he's now uh, also works at an agency now. But I was speaking, I was like, I'm, I'm not sure about the Dutch, man, about the next generation. And he's like, look, it's exciting talents, but maybe it's the, the word using exciting. He, he said, look, you, you have obviously Zavi Simmons, Gravenberg, um, Gravenberg obviously didn't make the turn, uh, make the, the, the roster. Um, you obviously have Frankie, you have, you know, there, there's a core there, right? The thing is, I think what we used to have with the Dutch, the Dutch always had a core and their core would be playing at the biggest club, really contributing. But then they also had this, the superstar status on it where mm. imagine like, imagine if Argentina had to face Van Persie and Robin this upcoming weekend, this game would be a little bit different. That's true. Know? That is true. It would. Like, so they got some of the core, but if you had those like two guys who were like outstanding, you would be like, Ooh, okay, this is going to be a freaking game. Like, this is a problem, you know? So that's my, that's been my discussion with a lot of the Dutch coaches and, and clubs here. I've been like, are you going into the academy? Are they making any special players? Right. I look at, I like, and maybe it could be just business principles or whatever. Obviously you've had dealings with Ajax, but like I tell people, I'm like, if you're an attacker, if you're a front three or you play 10, you know, or winger, striker, nine. Do you get an opportunity really at Ajax? Because they're going to Brazil to sign that guy. They're going to Porto. They're going to Portugal to sign, you know, uh, uh, 
Porto's head coach son. You know, they're, they're going to go get Latin talent. They're going to get Anthony and all these guys. But if you're an attacking youth talent at Ajax, what do you do? There's, there's not any attackers coming through. And that's kind of, that's crazy for the Netherlands, in my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because, of course, I followed Ajax ever since our boy went there yeah. for sure. Yep. So on the attacking side of the equation, yeah, they loan the domestic guys out. Yep. So yeah, I do, I do see the attacking talents kind of like mm, loaned out or, yep. or, or sold or something. And then you bring in Anthony, like all the creative attacking talent is just not manifesting itself like it used to. Is that yes, what you're saying? Yeah. This, and it could be just, you know, sometimes big nations, they go through that drop for like four to eight years. It could be that, but I don't know if it's something bigger at play. Um, you know mm -hmm. me, I'm always a big proponent of, of the, the, strop, the street football or strop football, like they call it here. And the reason I say that is that, and I want to, I want to say this so people know. In countries that have a developing, uh, that have a uh, soccer philosophy and identity. So in the U.S., <laughs> our identity is everywhere. But like when, when I'm speaking about countries that traditionally have produced players at a higher level, you see them speaking more like we need street. Like U.S. needs it as well. So I'm not saying that. But they also have the other side, right? They have the development side. They have the education. They have a, you know, they have... They have a whole tactical show. Like in the U.S., is there a, a tactical show where they just go over games all day? They have an analysis, everyone speaking, you know, all day about football. I'm not sure if we have that in the States. I think it's more opinion-based. It's yeah. not like, hey, break down this, break down this. They have that here all day on TV. I can watch it all day if I want. You yeah. know? Then they have the their channel, the Feyenoord channel. They're breaking down everything. And IX channel, they're breaking. They're break so it's like, it's a, in, it's a culture. They're I'll say this, there's things my son knows about the game that I didn't teach him. Where mm. when I was coaching in the States, I'm like, you don't see this, you don't see that. And then, so that's what I mean by the culture. So, but they are mentioning that, you know, there's a lack of creativity. There's too, maybe too much structure young due to their already built up system. So then you can start saying, hey, maybe we don't need to structure as much because you have that system. Yeah, Where in the yeah, States, yeah. Like, you get what I mean? It's like, yeah. we need to... Like we've, we've talked about it. So I think there's something missing with that. Kids aren't playing as much. I think they notice the video games and those things. But that's probably happening ever, everywhere. Or no? It is. It is. Yeah. But, I mean, but, I, I, but your point is well taken because other, other teams like, say, France, you have mm -hmm. superstars. Argentina, yep. okay. You have Messi. Maybe you say Di Maria is like a super creative difference maker as well. You know, yeah, maybe you have two or three guys, right? Yep. France has their guys. Brazil, gosh, obviously, okay, yep, yep. Uh, weapons all over the place. And you go down the list of the big teams, and they do have that, but you come to the Dutch, and you're like, hmm, I never thought about that before, Catherine, but you're right. It's kind of like they're all good players, but there's nobody you can point to. You're like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Be careful. Be mm -hmm. careful. You could change the game. and. And that's Memphis kind of has some of that. No, Memphis kind of has some of that. He can, yep. he can change a game. No, no, I think, I think he can, but I think he's a, I think he's a good, he's a good piece to have as your second or third guy, you know, mm. like he would be good with Robin and Van Persie. Now you have Memphis. And I like, Ooh, this is a great front three. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, Memphis can come in, play like a 10 drop in, Van Persie drops in. Robin's going to be isolated 1v1 and just kill you. So now it's it, it's going to create more. And so there, there's been a couple of factors here that I've seen. I mean, I think um, culturally a lot of the, the players from Suriname descent, right, um, 
they tended to be some of the, the better attackers, but for some reason they're not breaking through the system. I don't know. I've, I've talked to coaches there and, and uh, like I said, bringing up culture, right? So uh, the Moroccans are probably in a similar situation as Latin Americans or Mexican Americans in, in America. You know, they're, yeah. they're really, really overlooked in terms of the system. There's a big cultural thing that a lot of Dutch people don't speak about uh, mm. in terms of the football, maybe, maybe, or, or maybe not as, maybe I don't watch, they speak about it, maybe society-wise, but maybe not in football terms. Because um, there's Hakeem Ziyech, who would start in this team, I, I assume, if he was there. There's some cultural things that kind of go on. They mostly play in the street. They're technical. I've been on the scene the youth. They have the creativity. They can provide something different. And there's some cultural battles going on there. So, yeah, it's just a weird, it's just a weird team. It's not, it's, uh, if they keep doing well in the World Cup, it'll be a surprise and go from there. Well, obviously, you know, our audience is primarily in the United States. Take us through, like, what did you think about the game versus the U.S.? Take us from beginning to end. Like, what were your expectations? I know we discussed this in our last episode, but what were your expectations going in? maybe like 30 minutes before the match starts, right? Because we all have our ideas, maybe two days before, three days before, five days before, you know, we have our ideas, ah, this or that. But when it comes time for kickoff, all of a sudden you have these little, some other ideas pop into play. So yeah. maybe take us through that. Yeah. Take us through your emotions throughout the game. And then we can talk about post game. Definitely. You know, in the first 30 minutes, I, I, I was actually feeling uh, confident. I had my couple glasses of wine, so I was already, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was feeling like, it, you know, it was confident because it, not necessarily saying that we'll win. I, I was, I was more just excited to see what could happen. Right. And because you wait to see, okay, what is Van Hall going to do? What are we going to do tactically? Are they going to play two strikers? And then our center backs are one-on-one with their, with their two strikers. Are we really going to do that? Then I saw he picked Zimmerman over Carter Vickers. And I thought, okay, I'd, I would rather Cameron Carter Vickers. That's just me. But regardless, uh, you know, you're kind of looking at the lineups and, and you're seeing the team. And I was just thinking, okay, and I think I said this earlier in the podcast, the first 10 to 15 minutes, when we get our chances or when we get that opportunity, you have to put them away. Because if we don't put them away and, and it doesn't happen, I was kind of saying Holland 2-0, right? Because it would just kind of wear us down. They would control the game. And they did it in a different way, letting us have the ball and say, okay, let's see what you guys can do. But you saw, I think just through the initial pressure and just kind of the, the energy in the beginning, we created a chance. We, we created that, you know, I wouldn't say, actually, we didn't create a chance. A ball fell to Pulisic and uh, he had the chance one-on-one with, with Nopert and they saved it. But you saw that Hollow was just very well drilled and didn't seem under too much pressure. It was just pretty much chaos. If we create a chaos moment, we were like, oh, you know. So when you're watching it as a fan, you want to be successful. Uh, you're thinking about that. But like even our goal that we scored was just like so typical. Like I, I always tell people that like, you can't count us out of a game because of the way soccer is, right? Because of how soccer is, you could be absolutely the second best team, but you get a deflection, you win something, something happens for you. Like you said, put it in a mi- mixer and something happens. You can always affect the score. But ultimately, it ended up being a letdown throughout mm. the game. It ended up being a letdown. I was sitting with my... my but we had some of our American boys and then obviously our, my, my Dutch family was going crazy. My son defected on us and became a, a Dutch fan hmm. <laughs> and he let me hear about it, but it was just kind of frustrating because it, we just really lacked ideas about how to pull the opponent apart when they're, especially when they're sitting in the back line, a back three, sorry. 
And I was saying, if you looked at the only goal scoring opportunities we really created that meant something was we kind of won the ball in transition, diagonal run from way up, ball played through and he would finish. That wasn't going to happen with the back three with Van Dyke being in the middle, right? This like, it had to be an impeccable ball, impeccable ball timing, everything we have to work. And if that's our only way to attack and not to change subjects, like I'm watching France play. I know they have superstars, but you're seeing so much variety in attack. You're seeing crossing, you're seeing one V one play. You're seeing build up play. You're just seeing like a variety of ways of how to actually approach a, a way to score. And it seemed like for us, if the other team wasn't playing a defensive eye line, we didn't know, and there was no space. We didn't know how to pull them out of the space and have the people that could actually break down the defense. And yeah, I mean, and that's in hindsight, uh, profiles and everything. But it, I guess throughout, throughout the match, I kind of ended up being like, it's a letdown because you're, you want to, I think we, we wanted a better perform. I think I wanted a better performance out of the team. And I think we should. You're, out of you're talking about the U.S. Yes. You're, you're the side of the U.S. in all of this. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. The U.S. should have had a better performance, in my opinion. I don't think it was good enough being where we were in the final 16. Uh, also being where we want to go. We have to get to the mind. This is a critical side of me. That we have to get to the mindset that it's not good enough because you're not going to. You're not going to meet, meet big nations like where Holland was, where, where Holland is right now. They're not, hopefully they turn it around. You're not going to have these type of situations too much. And it comes around once every four years, right? So this isn't like, oh, let's get them next year, guys. This is, it's, we, we need to wake up because we can't even deal with, and I, I think when you analyze the World Cup, I always look at it from the standpoint of, okay. How well, like you saw with Germany from 2006, what was going to happen in 2014. 2006 with the change of football and how they blitzkrieg everyone. You saw Mezu Ozil coming through and Newer. It was like the future was really bright then because they, they killed teams. They surprised everyone after not making the World Cup in 2022. So that's what led that eight-year rise. Like, okay, Germany's here, right? And some guys became absolutely world-class. Cruz, well, Ozil, Newer. They had Mueller. They had all these guys coming up. So... They had their veterans and you had these guys coming up, really creating excitement. And I'm, I'm like with the U.S., I'm like, I hope everyone really understands that 2026 is the last go around for these guys that we're using to actually be really, really top level. Like this, this is the World Cup for them. So everyone coming after 2026, who are the actual guys that are, are, are who are the 19 to 22 year olds that were in this, you know, in this who are like, Taking over. So if you look at France, they have Chumini, they have Kamavinga, they have uh, uh, Till, who's at Bayern, who didn't get picked. But like they have next, they have the next crew coming up after Mbappe and this and these guys, right? After Mbappe, they got the next guys coming through. So you know that France is is going to be in the running for the next eight years. You know with Brazil, Endrick, like people are like when Endrick come, Endricky, why didn't he come to the world? So they got the next, they got the next guys who are saying going to be better than these guys. So I'm saying with U.S.'s aspirations, who in the MLS youth program is everyone raving about, meaning yeah. you can't miss. And yeah. I'm not saying hyping players, but can't miss. Who's coming through? We can't be talking about guys and, and, and you know, like, there has to be the next step because yeah. I, I just feel like if you look at the big nations, they lose players, they lose injuries. Neymar and Benzema are not even playing in the World Cup or, or playing, in, playing matches and look what they're doing, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of let down because I know, like you were saying in the last podcast, we're going to get too relaxed 
because we have no pressure until 2026. I mean, we already didn't have a lot of pressure going into it compared to other nations. But now it's like, oh, let's just get excited for 2026. That's all it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no pressure. Look, the narrative is we had a young team. Look how well they did. Look how they competed against England. They had opportunities against Holland. And, and it's the classic excuse that I hear in American sports all the time, Kefren. You grew up here. You yep. played high school soccer or sports, college. And literally, this is the classic excuse given by so many programs every single year. Oh, we graduated a lot of seniors, you know, last year. We're, we're yeah. a young team. We're rebuilding yeah. or whatever. Well, no, uh, it's it's a classic and everybody buys it. And it's even worse in football and soccer because the cycle is a four-year cycle. So nobody has to prove anything for four fucking years. Nothing. Right? In, Nothing. in, in high school soccer or football or basketball or whatever, they still get away with it with saying, Oh, it's a young, inexperienced team, graduated a bunch of seniors. We got a young generation coming up. Nobody asked the questions, well, okay, you graduated seniors, but what about the juniors from the team? They're seniors next year. <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, nobody, nobody takes that angle, or even there, even thinks about exploring that. Nope. And then the following year comes by, and what happens, happens. But my point is with World Cup cycles being four years out. Like nobody's gonna remember the excuses from four years ago, except for the hardcore people who actually give a shit and work in the space like us, right? And the general fan base is not gonna remember what happened four years ago in the detail required to hold people accountable. You see, so we're hearing the same shit that always happens, Kef. Yeah, the, the, um, we're gonna be the same. We're gonna be the same spot eight years from now because, like you said, people are. Uh, they're not really analyzing and looking. We played in the we played in the weakest World Cup group. Oh, but, it was by far. It's now we thought we suspected it beforehand. Yeah, but now that we look at it in retrospect, a hundred percent, it was the weakest fucking group. The weakest group. So you look at it, you're like, guys, we wouldn't have gotten out of Croatia's group. We wouldn't have gotten out of. Uh, well, just think of the Concacaf groups. If, yeah. if if the U.S. was in Costa Rica's group. Okay, with Germany, Spain, and Japan. Nope. You ain't getting out. Nope, not getting out. If you're in Canada's group, Morocco, Croatia, and, and Belgium, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I want to give you a fighting chance, United States, but mm, if, if you barely squeaked out of Wales and Iran, yeah. you're, you're in big trouble there. Yeah. Okay. And then Mexico with Argentina, Poland, and Saudi Arabia. I believe the U.S. would beat Saudi Arabia, even though Saudi Arabia put great fights up against everybody. Yeah. But against Argentina, you're fucked. And then it's against Poland. Poland it, against yeah, Poland, Poland will tactically take us. Bro, po Poland it, Poland's not a joke, man. Poland's stiff. It's stiff. Poland is stiffer than Iran or Wales by yeah. miles. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you're kind of in trouble if you're in Mexico's group too, U.S. So we benefit, the narrative benefited from the group that the United States was in. Yep. Let me ask you this question, Kev, because you gave your impressions about the U.S.-Netherlands game. The U.S. had a lot of possession in that match. Why? 
did the Netherlands cede possession to them or did the U.S.? Because usually the superior team has control of the football, right? Usually, not always, but usually that's the scenario. Is that what happened here? The U.S. is just superior to the Netherlands. So like, no, bitch, we have the ball. You yeah. sit back in a mid block or whatever, and we're going to figure out how to score on you. And cool, you can try the counter, but we're, in, we're the boss around here. Is that what happened? Or in your opinion, and why? Justify your opinion too, Kev. Yep. Or in your opinion, did the Netherlands say like, you can have it? I think, yeah, I think Holland and obviously Van Hall, you're talking about a legendary coach, of course. They analyzed what our strengths were. They analyzed also what their weaknesses were. I think Holland does not have a team to high press. Um, I think they noticed that they cannot, they cannot and will not high press. Um, they're going to sit in that mid block. So I think they first noticed who they were. And then from there, they started to deconstruct. Where's the U.S. going to get most of his glory? with space right and probably just that the like i said the only the only i guess i don't even know if you want to call it a pattern but the only goal scoring option we had was quick transition diagonal to, to way or the other option was we moved the ball and then if christian was able to kind of get space he started dribbling action and and try to force his way on that side that that was really the only option that we had or, or the only opportunities that we would kind of create that looked like that's the plan. So I think they just said, they just nullified that and said, okay, come play your crosses in. Ake, I, I thought Ake was uh, brilliant in that match. I think he cleaned up everything. He's been an unsung hero for, for the Netherlands. He's just very steady, very, he's a guy that's just, just kept it clean. And then you have Van Dyke back there saying, okay, let's see what you have. I thought we should have done so many different things in the system. I thought I, I would have actually matched them 3-4-3 three, three so that we could, because I also thought it was not wise to, to play two with two against two in the back with our center backs. I just didn't think it was wise. And I would have matched them 3-4-3, uh, three, three, but I would have actually played, uh, I would have played Christian and Reyna right behind Wea, Um so that those three who are probably three more talented players in the group, if you are going to play like pickup soccer, you say we're playing, those three are closer together for combination play. Uh, our wing backs, what is that? maybe. Yeah. What does that what does that mean? Where as the nine and then yeah. Christian and Polisic kind of like just below them, below him yeah. or something? Yeah. So I actually thought I, I remember I think Germany a while ago played like I remember watching Mezu Ogle talked about it where they played two sixes and two tens type of thing. So I was mm -hmm. thinking two number tens behind Wea, right? Meaning mm -hmm. it's difficult. I think it would have been difficult now because now Van Dyke is engaged in a one v one with Wea. So that means he can't step up and, and cover. That means their other center backs are also engaged in one v ones. Do they step up? And if they're going to step up now, potentially midfield runners like Musa could come from the blind side, right? But if he's going to join the attack, so and then if Christian, I always thought I thought if Christian could drop in and get the ball and turn and have people to connect with, and not just one forward. If he had Reyna and him to connect with closer together, he can cause havoc. His first step is amazing. He just explodes. So that means if they're going to foul him, it's going to be free kicks in and around the box. Uh, he's good enough to create that one golden chance or that combination. So I would have matched them there and I would have said, okay, I really want your wing backs to beat us with the ball. Where what happened was we came up high 
they transitioned, they sucked us into one side. And then both goals were pretty much this, pretty much the same thing, right, from them. It was like, okay, the forwards are going to make a run, drag our center backs in, and then the backs, the back post, the guys in the trailing runner make the back post run, and they played in and scored. And both times they were like, okay, game over. It was just like, ah. And so when I saw that, I, did, I didn't think we made any changes. I think when people think about it, when I think about football, it's, it's strategy, right? Strategy. Our players can do this, and this is what their players are going to do. How do we counteract that? So I'm thinking, all right, their wingbacks, Dumfries is not a decision maker. He's a guy that needs space just to run into. Daily Blend is not going to let him build from 60 yards and have the ball. He's not, he's not going to be a fast wingback and, and build. So, but what you don't want is the pie being a playmaker, right, in my opinion, and Cody Gagpo. You don't want them running into space. I mean, there's times where 3v3 or 2v2 on a counter. We don't want that situation. You know what I mean? So I was like, did we limit that? And then knowing that we were going to press high, like the first goal, like where Tyler stepped up and, uh, and they, and they caught us on the counter. I saw it already. I was like, oh man, I was talking to the boys during the game. Cause like, oh yeah, they had the press. And I was like, well, look at it this way, guys. Holland had the ball on the right side. They did a quick switch of play. When they did that quick switch of play, our winger immediately went to go press. And I was like, what, I was like, what have I been telling you guys when you're over here? If they do a quick switch of play, the most important space is behind you, not going to press this guy. Because if you go press him, then they're just going to they're gonna play quickly forward on you and then switch and go to the other side. And, and they're just going to progress the ball. So when they did the quick switch, we went and pressed, and then you saw it. We were a step late. Everyone was a step late. You know what I'm saying? Boom, boom. And then so they started from one side, played it. Played it forward, sucked us in there. Played it back, switched again. It looked like a, it looked like honestly like a, a like I said, pattern play pass. It just looked, and they got us. So they went from one side to the other, and then finally they just said, oh, found the trial running runner. It it just looked yeah. very, it, it looked too easy to me, in my opinion. Did, did Van Hal give the U.S. the ball? Yes. Like, why did the U.S. have more possession? The U.S. had most of the ball because he knew that we did not have the players or the identity to actually make the, make our ball position count. You think it was intentional? Yeah. You think like he's sitting there on how his staff is like, hmm, let them have it. And then we catch them. Yeah. I think he looked a lot at the, I don't know. I yeah. actually don't know. Like I agree with the, your first statement there. It's like, if I'm looking at the U S and I know the U S inside and out, mm -hmm. I'm like, you can't create shit, okay? Yeah. You have no creative midfield. You are all destroyers. How are you going to break us down if we're just chilling here? You have 10 guys who are seasoned, top-level European professionals, beasts, okay, who understand football. How are you going to break us down? Yeah. Like, it's going to be a fluke. So we'll take go ahead and try. Go ahead and try. We will maneuver your attempts. And then we'll counter you with Memphis and company up top and good luck to you. One V one with Zimmerman or whoever. That, that, that's just me. Yep. And this isn't just me taking advantage with the benefit of hindsight yep. and, and the scoreline and what happened. We've been talking about this for a long time, Kef. This is not new, right? Yep. Our whole thing about not having a creative midfield, not being able to create, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it manifested itself in this match. So I'm well, just curious as to your opinion. Like, do you really think like 
Van Hal is just sitting there with his staff. He's like, this is the game plan. Just let them have it. Yeah. No, I, I really feel so because, I, like I said, we're, we're speaking about a country that is known for, it's almost a sin to let the other team have the ball. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's Correct. The, yeah, that's, that's why I'm asking. That's the culture of the country. Mm-hmm. That's the culture of the country. Like, he's still getting ripped apart. Marco Van Basten is like, great two goals, but if I have to keep watching this, oh, my Lord. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what's happening on TV. Like, they're, they're just, there's not much support for the team, but it's like, okay, we'll beat the U.S. like that. And, and I think he did analyze I think he looked a lot at the England match. He said, okay, they're able to win the ball. They're able to have, they're able to have possession, is what people say. Or like, they're able to have the ball. They, the guys are technical enough, and, and you have enough players when they know how to move um, to create shapes to support each other. Sure. The right? U.S. They have what the U.S. does. And that's basic. That's basic Kids football. Mm-hmm. They can do that. And they're athletic, so they can close you down, and they can win it back off of you. And really, he was just like, as long as we don't give them the space to do what they do, which is just kind of play a quick through ball or, or find Christian in space and go, what are they really going to do? And you saw that manifested. Like, even our goal is like, it was just some wildness that happened, and it's knockout football, so... Anything can happen. And then from there, sure. they still proceeded to score the third goal within, I think, less than five minutes or something. So I, I looked at it as felt let down because there wasn't really any growth in the team. Mm. Oh, people understand. This isn't really growth. Like the players play in Europe already. They play in Europe already. So they've been learning these things. They've been, it's, a, it's a definitely more talented group than we've had in, in a couple of years, right? But did we really grow that much as a nation with our identity? I'm not sure. Because to me, what you want to see is now evolution in the 2026 World Cup. Is that going to happen? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, what's really happening where you can see their, their, the style of play or how they're... I, I don't know. I just, I just think, and especially in these matches when we go against these type of teams, you want to see the, some things tactically kind of play out as well. Like, you want to see how we're we're adapting and operating i credit to the guys like i said credit to the guys but i feel that the the coaching definitely has to pick up to be able to match that because we're gonna have great energy in 2026 i'll say this no one would want to play us meaning not from the standpoint of beat us but no one wants to play us because it's gonna be that rah rah it's gonna be like damn this first 30 minutes these guys are these guys are on the cocaine yeah running and yeah and Kef, you're the host nation. It matters a lot. It didn't matter this time because it's Qatar, but yeah. usually the host nation does very, very well. In 1994, I remember yeah. it because I watched it completely. In 94, when it was in the U.S., the United States beat Colombia. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Crazy. And, and, and Colombia was coming off an incredible qualifying campaign, thrashing Argentina, mm-hmm. thr- just like, incredible form like colombia was a candidate a legitimate candidate to perhaps take the world cup in 1994 and the united states beat them yep the host nation has that sort of advantage the home nation does have an advantage and i think the united states will do well in 2026 but it won't be for the reasons that people want to ascribe to it it's simply that you are the home nation and yeah you have a generation of players that okay, are going to have four more years of experience in Europe. It's this crew plus others who are in Europe or will be in Europe in short order. So they're going to do well, quote unquote, well. 
what does that mean? It means a quarterfinals. It means hell, maybe even a semifinal. I mean, seriously, it's possible. It's no, it's totally never possible. possible. It's possible. It's totally possible. Yeah. But let's start talking about this now so that people don't think it's something that it's not. Because then in South Korea, how far did South Korea go when it was in Korea Japan World Cup? I think they went very far, didn't they? I think it was semis. Huh? It was semis. I think it might have been semifinal also. It was Germany. Then they, yeah, they lost to Germany. And nobody thought seriously around the world, oh, South Korea has arrived. Wow, this is this is a new world power on the soccer scene. Yeah. Hey, anything can happen. Tomorrow they play against Brazil. If they knock out Brazil tomorrow, bro, I, I quit soccer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Football, right? It can happen. <laughs> but I, I have a couple of other questions for you. I want your opinion for real. I have three questions. Let me rattle them off one at a time and then we'll take them one at a time. One, should Greg continue? Two, actually, let me reverse the order, if you don't mind. Um, I saw a statement somewhere, I forgot in the past 24 hours, that Van Hal talked a little bit about how he views the modern game. And I think he was addressing the criticism of him not having control and Holland not having control of the matches. And, And by control, we mean the classic view of control, meaning attack, 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 attack. And and you're always causing danger to the opponent versus the other way around. And I think he addressed that by saying modern football has changed a lot with its perception of control. The way I interpret that is if you look at Saudi Arabia, Argentina, Argentina didn't really have all that many opportunities on goal until very late in the game. Saudi Arabia, quote unquote, controlled them. How? via the offside trap, via the high press, whatever, versus how it would have been in the past, you have such a mismatch that in the past, a team like Saudi Arabia would have been like, shit, we're going to super bunker, we're going to park the bus and try to absorb as much pressure as possible and find our opportunities with counterattacks or set pieces or corner kicks or whatever the heck. That, That was the philosophy historically in football. If you're vastly mismatched. So you look at an example like that, you look at an example of the U.S. versus Holland, and frankly, Van Gaal, in my opinion, I think Holland has more than enough talent and capability to have superiority and possession over the United States. But I, I kind of feel, and that's why I wanted to ask you the question first, I kind of feel like they just said, you know what? We are going to control this match by letting you have the ball. And then this is how we are going to punish you. You won't be able to punish us, but we know that we can punish you because we have quality in the final third to just finish plays, yeah. right? With whoever it is, even if it is Daily Blind, okay? You would never consider him as like, oh my God, such tremendous danger. Be yeah. careful with this guy. Nobody, Nobody would say that. However, with space and with an opportunity, he has the technical quality, experience, and coldness to just finish a play, whether it be a final pass or whether it be a shot on target, you see? So I I don't know. I'm speculating here, but I feel that is the interpretation of when Van Gaal says the game has changed. It's all about a different view of control. Yeah. Does that make sense? God, I don't even know if I have a question about that. It, no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying about control. 
I mean, I, I would say that teams are so much prepared now from a tactical standpoint with technology, being able to really analyze you and the teams and your tendencies, the players have the information, the coaches have the information. Physically, there's not too much of a physical difference uh, between teams as, as much unless you run up against France and Brazil and they tend to be a little bit stronger physically than other teams. But other, most of the teams, even physically, are, are, are matched up. There, it's, it's about controlling spaces, right? So if we can control the space and we can make attack, what, defense, defense is supposed to be predictable, attack is supposed to be unpredictable, right? So I think the, the defenses and the structure, they've figured out a way to become more, uh, make the uh, attacks more predictable. And in modern football, I think we've lost, we've just lost that element of, well, maybe not even lost, it, it, two things. It's lost and also discarded the creative player. Mm. We've lost, we've lost a, a lot of creativity in football and we've discarded a lot of those players. Like if you look at it, everyone's going crazy for Musiala. I think his performance against Costa Rica, everyone's like, wow. Like it, it gave me, and it's not to compare him to Messi or Ronaldo, but like it, I remember seeing Messi's first U20 World Cup and I remember seeing Ronaldo's first Euros to 20, oh, um, 2004. It gave me those vibes. He gets the ball and it just happened. It's like, it's not even thinking. It's just the, the game flows around him. People don't even know what to do. They don't know to step to him. They don't know if he's going to pass it or going to dribble. He just, he feels it, right? And it gave me some of those old vibes, how he was performing. And you're going to, we're going to need teams. Countries are going to have to start believing in these players again. And it, and it, it's, it's like everything we say, Gary, right? It's like, it's funny how, you know, it's funny how everything is constructed, right? We always say U.S. soccer body. It's a body. So the body is from the head to the, the toes. So we start at the, the feet, which is youth. It's controlled by the head. So if the head is disregarding everything that the feet need, we're not going to be progressing the way that we're supposed to be progressing. So I think when it comes to U.S. soccer, I think when it comes to world football, we have to start structuring these things better so that by the time we get to the head, we get to the top, we're able to have everything put together to, to bring our football together. Like if I look at Louis Van Hall, when he says it's changed, but he also used to have incredible talents. Like even though he was, a, he was different than Cryf, he was more positional system player, right? He still had Sadorf, Davids. He still had Rivaldo. I mean, he didn't really rock with Rivaldo too much, but he still, he always had world-class players. Robin Ribery always had those guys to then match what he was doing. And I think we've actually gone, uh, it'd be good if you do, not just talking to me, I think you should definitely talk so people who are way more uh, versed in it than me, but like the Van Hall Cruyff uh, issue. And, this, and, and just for all the U.S. listeners too, this is what we don't have. We, we can't even like bring up two coaches and be like, this philosophy against this philosophy. In, in Argentina, I think you guys have it, right? It's uh, Minotti yeah. and Bayardo. Bayardo. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you have like you know your, you, you know your shit. <laughs> yeah, it's two schools of thought, right? It's, but it's schools of thought, yeah. right? Where you're able to debate and you're like, it, and it isn't, dis, it isn't one discarding the other. It's actually when both work together, you actually create the, the perfect mm. symmetry. But you need both. And I think we've skewed a little bit more to one side and we disregarded the other side. Well, in the U.S., it's always been the same philosophy. There's never been two competing philosophies. It's just run. <laughs> just run fucking run, be physical, yeah. fucking... Never die. 
never stuck say in blue collar stuff or whatever. And, and it continues to this day, even though people think that they're well-versed in technical quality and tactical astuteness or whatever, when it, when the rubber meets the road, Kefford, when yeah. the rubber meets the road and you have to play an important match, every single one of these people, whether they be coaches or media or whatever, end up reverting back to the same shit. Yeah. Can you win your 1v1 matchup in a tackle? Yeah. Like literally, that is what everybody here reverts to. Heart, desire. But, but Gary, it's like you said, you do, or like we were just talking about, because competing schools of thought. Yeah. Competing yeah, yeah, schools yeah. of thought. We, we, we don't have that. We don't have a school of thought. It's like, I was like, oh, should we? But uh, let's just do possession. Let's just do the German way. Let's just do. But the we do, way. but we, but we do. Kef, the the school of thought here is blue collar workers get okay. the fucking hardest working guys on the fucking field. But is it competing though? Two point five kilometers. Yeah. And so long as they know how to quote unquote kick a ball somehow, some way, cool. Let's do it. That's what we're rolling with. Versus, hey. Are you exquisite and elegant with your touch on the ball? And are you exquisite and elegant and like a fucking, I don't know, a satellite or a spy satellite in orbit, knowing what the correct decisions are yeah, and, and valuing that and the technique over, can you run 13.5 kilometers and jump higher than somebody else? That, that is, gets discarded, my friend. It's all about, can you fucking run and tackle? And I think it feeds into what we were saying is that our soccer culture in the States is built on moments and that's it. So we're not, we're not built. It's not, you know, how the word, I guess to use past, uh, pastime or, 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 or passion. It's not, it's not our daily life. It is, it's not a part of our well, daily we life. Have, well, we just have pussies, bro. We have, yeah. pu we have pussy ass fucking coaches and pussy executives who don't want to take any risks. And so since they've been born and bred in this sort of philosophy, they think that that is the path of least resistance, the path of lowest risk for their jobs, for potential success, or for not making a fool of yourself. Yep. Because it takes a lot of know-how and expertise and craftsmanship to leverage things like technique and soccer IQ successfully. And it does not take a lot of expertise and know-how and craftsmanship to leverage physical attributes and physical prowess. With yeah. physical attributes and physical prowess, that takes care of itself. Yeah, every, run, everybody mother, should. Run, yeah. run, motherfucker, run. That does not take a lot of training yep. or understanding of football, okay? Leveraging technique and leveraging tactics and soccer IQ requires a lot of craftsmanship requires a lot of, of expertise in fucking football. And so if you don't have that, yeah, I understand it. You resort to the simple thing, right? The path of least resistance. And I think that's what we have here. The reasons why we have that, again, just like our last conversation, I won't dive into it. Yeah. Three volume of fucking whole fucking encyclopedia. Yep. worth of things centered on promotion and relegation. But put that aside, I want to ask you this question. Yep. So it sounds like we're kind of in alignment Then Van Hal gave the U.S. the ball because the U.S. has no 
creative machinery or whatever to be able to cause havoc and breaking down a mid to low block. Yep. Okay. They confront themselves, in my opinion, probably with a different puzzle with Argentina, because if you sit there in a mid to low block against Argentina, you're asking for trouble. Maybe Argentina doesn't break you down. I mean, it, it, it was hard against Australia. It took them a, quite a while. Maybe they don't break you down. Maybe it's the correct strategy, but it's not the U.S. You have different animals in front of you. If you're just going to sit there, oh, Argentina, have the, go ahead and have the ball. Uh, we run mm, it all day. Mm, that's dangerous. So I'm curious as to your prediction here. Ooh. Obviously, my heritage is from there. Yep. Not, not a score, not a score prediction because anything can happen in football. I, I'm thinking about a tactical prediction. Yep. Will Guanajuato say, you know what? We just can't give these fuckers the ball. Like we have to go at them, press them or something. I don't know. This is going to be one of the interesting games. It's going to be one of, you know what, you know, in America, they call it boring. Mm. I, this is why I say that. I think they're going to say it's boring. I actually think both are going to play a mid block. Mm. Um, I don't think either are going to press each other too hard. Uh, yeah, I just don't see them doing it. I just it's gonna be really cagey, man. Without even scores, I think penalties. That automatically goes in my head. This is going to penalty. Oh, fuck. God really? It's really when I first I was like, it's gonna be obviously there's Messi there. So sure. you're like Messi does Messi. I just don't see I saw with the Dutch team. You saw, if you saw the goals, everyone was like, Where are the trailing runners? Where is where were the why is this guy open? Where are they looking at this? And I'm like, guys, you, they saw how we were playing. Both goals are carbon copy. It's just two different finishers. Like they told whoever was making the runs in front, near post, drag them. They're all going to follow you. Their midfielders are all pressing you high, so they're not going to be a support. McKinney can't be there back in time. Uh, Adams maybe should be there, but he was out of position for the first goal. So they're both carbon copy. You're not going to get that against Argentina. They're just going to be, it's just going to be really cagey. And, not, and like I said, if Holland had someone like a Robin, I'd be like, it's Robin versus Messi. Because both teams are tactically going to just snuff each other out. You know what I mean? Because... I really feel for Argentina, like I'm attacking in like Messi must be like, damn, if I had a player like an Mbappe, right. a guy mm. or Dembele, even Dembele, somebody who can, Di Maria does it, Di Maria does it, but he's just older, right? So like if he was, if he was 10 years younger, yeah, oh yeah, now those two can create havoc. As a playmaker, I just, it, it's going to be, but Argentina tends to have these moments where someone comes up with something that you're like, nobody was thinking about you. Like Maxi Rodriguez back in the day against Colombia, uh, not uh, against Mexico, sorry. Now the guy who just comes up, I mean, it looks like Enzo Fernandez has come up with some moments. So it's going to, on both sides, it's going to come from someone like that. Because I think they're going to nullify, both of the coaches are, are tactically astute. They're going to try to take out the best player situation. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to snuff that out. So you think a 1-1, one, one, a 0-0, a 2-2, zero, zero, two, two, something like that to penalties? Yeah, it's going to be tight. I don't even know 2-2, two, two, man. I don't know if yeah, it's a lot of goals. Yeah, that's a lot of goals. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, if it's 1-1, one, one, if, if whoever scores a goal has a big chance to, to take the other out. If mm-hmm. they get a goal, it's going to be rough. I just think it's going to be a stalemate because I just think both coaches are tactically astute. I think Holland doesn't. Holland is not under. Ben Hall is his last World Cup, and he's a guy that doesn't give a, he doesn't give a fuck anyway. So he yeah. doesn't feel the pressure to listen to anybody in Holland because he thinks yeah. he's the best Holland ever produced. He thinks he's better than Christ. Trust me. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> he does. So he... He's not under any pressure to do that. And he's like, man, if I get this scalp against Argentina, if we win this game and I get to the semifinals, no one can speak to me. That's he can't true. speak to me. It's, that is true. That is true. So it's crazy that Mourinho came from his tutelage. You, yeah. you see, Mourinho, the way he acts and stuff, is actually a younger Ben Hall. 
So mm-hmm. Ben Hall has always had something in him that I'm the, I know what I'm doing and this is what we're doing. So who's also, having the ball? Huh? Who's going to have the ball? Argentina. They're going to have it. Argentina, Argentina will have majority of the ball. Um, it'd be very interesting to see how Argentina would line up. I would, to me, I would, I would just try to like, similar to like where I said U.S. I, I don't know if I would go three, four, three with Messi at the, I just think with Messi, I think you need to have people around him so that he can just destroy people. Like I, I like he needs people close to him and he cannot be isolated. First of all, it's not, it's not 10 years ago where when he was isolated, he still could have three or four moments of just crazy magic. He's yeah. lost a step for sure. Yeah, so I would definitely change the system up where I would have a nine. I, I think in the last game they played Messi nine, didn't they? Am I, am I correct or no? The the Messi situation is interesting because depending on how the game goes, he changes his position altogether. He just moves and everybody like, changes yeah, on the like, like when it's too locked down, he just drops and becomes the eight or the ten. He just drops down and it's like, you know what? Just give me the rock in the center of the park. And I'm going to distribute to the yes. wingers. I'm going to distribute. I'm I'm going to decide how we attack from this point forward. So I I actually don't know like what his position is, but yes, I, I suppose you can say he starts as like a nine. Yeah, I would say because Holland's only. I mean, on the wingbacks, only Dumfries can kind of join the attack at speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though Daily Blood just scored that goal, but uh, I would almost match their system. I would put people around Messi, runners around Messi. So that then if you're putting that and those guys are create habit through making runs off of Messi, then his genius is going to make the difference because you're like, wait, this guy's here. But if it's, if it's too much like, okay, Di Maria's wide, the other winger's wide, and then Messi's just a nine dropping in and this is too wide, I, I don't see how you do that. They're going to have a back three. Now he's got he's to receive the ball in midfield. He's got to beat the six. He's got to beat the back three. Those guys are wide and it's like, I just don't see that. I would just say, I would say, okay, we're going to match up three for three. We're going to match up to three with, with three forwards. We're going to have Messi at the tip. Let's see how you deal with that. I would say, let's see yeah. how you do with that with three people ahead of Messi. And then I'm going to put yeah. three hardworking midfielders behind. I'm just like, let's see how you deal with that. When he falls, finds the ball in pockets of space, he can play three balls. He can dribble. He can shoot and create. I would, I would put the, if I was Argentina's coach, I'd put the game in Messi's hands, but with, options around him where he doesn't have to do too much dropping in and all that because Holland's not going to because the opponent's not going to press you mm-hmm. so they're going to let you have the ball so I'm like okay we're going to have the ball so we we maybe don't even need that many um we need we need guys that can obviously Enzo I mean but see the thing is that's great about Argentina is that in my opinion is it the players are able to pick is they have guys that can actually destroy and create and do both in the, in the same not, not saying they're the, the best creators of all time, but I'm saying they can at least do the same or they have a history of it. Like when you had Ever Benega, right? Who could yeah, play yeah, deep. Yeah. And now Enzo's maybe going to be in that, that type of style of player. Someone who could drop deep. I wish the U.S. would have played Luca Del Torre. Like, I would prefer Luca than, yeah, and get one of the three destroyers out for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was like, he's going to change the rhythm of the game. He's going to find different passes and then, He's going to change the rhythm so that then you find Christian receiving the ball on the run, not just ball goes inside, everyone's staring, who's supposed to get the ball? Okay, Christian's open. We think Christian's open. They play it, man on his back, they win it, they counter. It, it like, offers something different, Kev. I don't know if you noticed this, but yeah, or maybe I'm wrong in my noticing. I don't know. Yeah, When Christian would drift to the center and, and would receive the ball in the center of the park, Christian yeah. Pulisic, 
that's when the U.S. actually looked dangerous. Yeah. I was, I was telling people, I was like, I don't know if Christian Pulisic has ever watched too much of Michael Owen, but to me, he's just a Michael Owen region. Yeah, just not, you're he's right. Just, he, he's, he's not necessarily a striker striker, but the style of play is eerily yeah. similar. The, you know? the, the same way, they run the same way, they move the same way, they cut the same way. It looks the same, yes. Exactly. So, like, to me, center backs knowing if you come inside, the, the, the right back doesn't want to follow you inside. He's not because he's got to cover the wing. So that means the center back has to follow you. He doesn't want to, like, and that's, that's the thing about strategy. Make them, un- how are we making them uncomfortable? So Christian had to be in a free roll. I'm like, he needs to be around people. He needs to be receiving the ball because he can turn on a half turn. He can go. The first step is there. So that means now it's habit. Striker makes a run. The center back is like, okay, do I go with him or do I step to Christian? It's like, it's, it's those moments, especially with how this U.S. team was built, that you had to like structure the team. But every time I see him receiving the ball so wide, and this is what comes to coaching, I think. Yeah. When he was receiving the ball so wide and having to start attacks from deep, he's like 20, 30 yards from goal. That means he's got to beat two or three people. Oh, no, no, no. In my opinion, it's like put them closer to the 18, put people in front of them that can run off of them because now they have to drag their attention there. He cuts in, and then we see what happens, right? We let him. Maybe he should have just been the 10. Be the playmaker. Just he, be the I think playmaker. This is the thing. I wish, I wish, and this is, like you said, back, I guess just thinking about development, and, and I don't want to change too much, but like, I think in the States, because we, when I was coaching back in the States, I remember out of all the years I coached there, I only had three games where I had to change something tactically, where a team presented a problem. Not that they were faster than us, because we always wanted to dominate the ball and everything. Not where they faster and they kicked it over our head and scored and won those little bullshit games. I'm talking about where a team played in a deep block purposely and they, they caused me habit. And I'm like, oh, damn, I got to think. Okay, well, what do we do? What do we do this? And guess what? Two foreign coaches, I remember this, and they had way inferior teams, way inferior, not even close to our, all the boys we had. And I was like, damn, each game we barely won by like one goal. And I was like, thank you guys. I was like, in the States, I never had to do anything different. It was either we were playing poorly or they kicked the ball over heads and they had a fast, strong guy at youth level. So just imagine, you know, if you have one year of that to five years of that to 10 years of that as your coaching development, you do not develop as a coach because yeah. you're not getting that challenge. I'll say this, like, I remember we went to Belgium and they, they would say in Belgium, they would tell the coaches would get together and talk and say, hey, today we're playing this type of block. They would go tell the team, this is what we're going to do. The other, the opposing club, because they were working together with the Federation to create development, right? So it was like, it wasn't just about winning this game. Club Bruges and Ander, like, yes, we're rivals, but we're also, de- you're developing, I'm developing. We need players that know how to do against deep block. We need to develop this type of player. We need to have this type of system. We need to have this. Not saying that we should necessarily do that, but we're only focused on the competitive side. Did you win? You won. No matter how you did it, did you win? That has its place. That mentality yeah. has its place. We should never lose that mentality because it is special. But when we can align it, to the slow burn is actually the development, right? And having the purpose of the development, having the purpose of it and having it connect. When we don't have that, it was like I told you, why I left the States, why I'm apathetic. What am I doing here? Yeah. Yeah, well, like, what am I doing here? What's the purpose if all your work is just going to be, it's not not about anything. It's like, and then they get into these, I talk to so many coaches now on stateside and it's like, man, I've been developing this kid. They get into the system and they're like, and it's at MLS clubs, by the way. 
a lot of them, majority are MLS clubs, and they just destroy the project, destroy, destroy the player. Yeah. Everything that you built that you've been working on, just destroy it. And they're like, oh, he doesn't play the same. He doesn't look the same. And, and, and that's the thing to me. I'm like, who are these players? Who is coming through the U.S. system that everybody is excited about? And then you see at the same time, you can also see the proof of what that excitement is about. I do not see it. I see people getting picked for teams. Great. I see some things, but we're already starting to find out about Brazil's class, right? We're already starting to find out for French, French class. England has a whole bunch of great talent coming through. All these countries, you know, Spain coming through with players. Like in the next generation, as soon as Fati hopefully gets fit and all that. I mean, he's not even playing in the World Cup. He's, a, he's not even playing and you got players like that are coming through. I don't think we can say the future is bright. I think you could just say the future is better than what we used to be, but we're not, you can't, when it's bright, you have to compare it to everyone else's future. No, that's exactly right. And that's what we don't, we don't compare the I, futures. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I think that's exactly right. Is the fan base here driven again by the media who mm -hmm. programs the fan base. They think, oh yeah, the future is bright because relative to certain points of our past, we've made progress. For example, this team has more players playing in Europe, playing, right? Minutes, whatever, at certain types of clubs at a younger age versus previous generations. And so that is what they're trying to compare and say the future is bright. So in that one specific metric, is there progress? Sure. But how you said, that is not the correct measure. The correct measure is thinking about relative to the other countries. What have the other countries done to also improve themselves? Yes. And then compare our progress and our jump to how they have also jumped. Yeah. yeah. In quality and stature and in process and all that stuff. So that is how you should be looking at these things. The problem is that the American soccer fan base doesn't really watch or, or study or analyze global football. And that goes for the media as well here, and especially the media has no fucking idea. And so for those who do, right, spend so much time looking outside of this little American soccer bubble, you see the progress of other nations as well. And then you look at the progress of American soccer and you're like, bitch, we, we haven't made any progress. Like, Sure, compared to ourselves, we made progress, but compared to the rest of the world, it's the same. We, have, we haven't really ratcheted up anything and really caught up to anybody. Look at the developing nation. Look at Ecuador. Mm. Ecuador probably should have made it out of that group. I feel bad mm. for them because the England-Senegal game, I was like, Ecuador would have caused England problems. More than Senegal. I think so. Way more than Senegal, yes. Way more than Senegal. Senegal, I don't know what happened, but, it's, it's, but Bro, still. Kev, let me, I, I need to interrupt you here, okay? Yep. Um, fucking fight me, okay? Go against my opinion if you, if you feel a certain way. Yeah. I kind of feel like the fucking Africans are incredibly good. Technically, they're incredible. They got it. They got it. But it's like they're missing the tactical piece. Yeah. And they're also missing like the mental piece or the psychological piece. And let me explain the latter. Okay. I kind of feel like it first off that they get more intimidated versus 
when they see a certain jersey on the other side of the field versus other nations, one, it's like, oh shit, fucking the Brazilian jersey is on the other side. Oh my God, I'm shitting my pants, yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. And then secondly, if that opposing jersey, which has all this history associated with it, right? All this mysticism associated yeah. with it. If that opposing jersey scores a goal on you and they're now up 1-0 on you, I kind of feel it is a feeling, Kefren. Forgive me, okay? Like the uh, players' nation deflates. They're like, "Yeah, we're fucked. It's over." You, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I have that feeling. Yeah, I just yeah. do, and I feel like you. that is the like that hurdle that they've been struggling with for as long as I can remember a, 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 as a football fanatic. Because at the youth level, they crush it and. They have extraordinary technicians. JJ Kocha is one of my all-time favorite players ever. Yep. But there's What's something. That? There's something. Yeah, it's and I I, I don't want to I definitely don't. I wouldn't say that I know I'm definitely not an expert in African soccer, but I will say this. I do get the feeling and the sentiment that you're saying because you look at it, their players are playing. It's not just about playing in Europe. I think there's something that comes to their, their society and value, uh, uh, value. I think there might even be society and colonial stuff. I'm not trying to make it too deep, but there might be some elements, like you say, who are we playing against? Because they, they were talking about the French team that one was pretty much majority African-based players and why don't people come back and play? And I, I think with Africa and, they, and I think most would say it, it's just really the organization of the, the system there. And so... Africa is similar to South America. Like when I was in Colombia, I was like, I was with some, uh, some people in my there in Nigeria. They said, Colombia is just Nigeria. This is the same type of feel. You know what I mean? There's, they're the same people pretty much. We're like similar. But I just think in South America, the structure has been able to, to get there to a point where they've been able to kind of build a better system um, of development, of structure, of, and no system's perfect. No one's going to be perfect, but where then it now manifests itself into the, the top level because they deal with similar issues. You're dealing with the same, sometimes similar poverty issues and, and different things like that. But they've been able to kind of structure the system. So like, if you look at it, like if you look at the program, Right to Dream, which has been able to that, they were able to input a system and now you see kudos come through. Like I, I know yeah. that, I, I know that with the former director at Right to Dream and, uh, and we would talk, he's like, he's like, kudos wasn't even the best player at like 13. He was good, but he was kind of, his feet were too big for his body. Like he was just in that awkward phase, right? And then look what he became, you know? And he's it's like, there were other players that were better. And, and, but they were, they put a structure in place, organized it, brought it together. And now you're seeing these guys are all coming through this right to dream pipeline. And, and now, voila, they make it to the next level. Africa, I think it's coming because you see that the scores are becoming more competitive. So I think that fear or that lack of um, belief because I, I guess we go back to the Ghana game. They were too focused on Suarez. That's mm. the first thing I thought. I'm like, look, I don't know what the coach said. If I was a coach, I would say, guys, we're trying to win for Ghana. That's it. We're not trying to do some vendetta against Uruguay. I don't care about Luis Suarez. And, and I thought it was so incredibly the, the mind games to give Suarez captaincy and start of it. I mean, I knew he was going to, I mean, I don't think he was starting every game, but the stardom in the game, it just started that kind of like, oh man, the narrative and it's like it's Suarez. And I saw Andrew Ayu when, when they first do the pitch, he just looking at him so angry. And I'm like, you almost need to lighten the mood and say, guys, 
our focus is trying to win the World Cup. This mm-hmm. is just our next opponent. We have to we have to move on. You know what I mean? So we just have to. So I, I get it. I think there's there's just an element that um, it's coming. And, and I think you also see a lot of the dual national now that are African or have African descent are thinking about like you got Callum Hudson and Doyle. Should he come back? Should he come to Ghana? Because now they're not being picked. And if you look at Morocco, I don't know. It's, it's, I think there's a certain belief. I'll say this. I think with a lot of, um, and I can be debated on this. I think when it comes to black people, and I think this is on a societal worldwide view, there's an inferiority complex with a lot of different things that we maybe manifest and don't manifest outwardly or inwardly. And I think that happens. I think other cultures don't have that as much. Right. Like if I look at the Mor- like if I look at the Moroccans here, right? Big cultural issue here. They're all choosing to go play back home. They'll first mm. say it, like, no, nah, you guys, you guys don't F with us here. F you. Mm. I'm Moroccan. And then when they go play, they're Moroccan. And then when they win in Holland, like they, everyone's going crazy. They they win. If if Holland and Morocco meet in the World Cup, bro, <laughs> it's gonna be a movie. <laughs> you know? It's gonna be like, but I just feel with the African countries i don't know i i need i think we need to probably speak to someone who's more in depth on what's happening but yeah. i always felt like the what i've heard is the organization and the structure and sometimes the the systems like i said i think every federation has some kind of corruption or someone takes sure. it so I, I don't want to say it's just all oh, this african countries i i just think it hasn't been organized in a way to bring it all together and if we can organize it if we can organize it in a way to bring it all together i mean gary if you go to a scouting mission in africa you'd be like man I just found an extra Yaya Toure chilling oh, in the yeah, village. Dude. One of my close partners uh, it does exactly that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most of his clients are in Europe mm-hmm. and, and that's what he does. He's, yep. He has a huge trusted network of scouts in Africa. And then he will obviously go down there and check out, do the final sort of assessments or whatever. And yeah, man, there's a limitless reservoir of super high talent there. Yep. All the other things aside, right, as to how to make a professional and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I have one more question for you. Let me plug in my computer because it's going to die. And then I have a parting question for you. Sounds good. All right. Can you hear me? Yep. Perfect. Um, so it's, it's based on the U.S. again and whether Greg should continue, not continue. So without saying too much, I have my people and my people tell me a certain something and, and your opinion would be valued here. Um, a significant number of European-based players here don't really respect Greg. And I think this will be a growing issue for U.S. soccer as more and more players are in Europe and as more and more of those players have success and as more and more of those players are under the tutelage, command, mentorship, whatever you want to call it, of experienced, respected, top-level uh, practitioners in Europe, managers in Europe, in theory, at least, because obviously I was never at that level as a, as a player myself. It seems logical that for the national team, they would require somebody like that instead of coming to their national team, having somebody that is not at that sort of quote unquote level. And that's a problem, right? So you can't go from say having so as to not out anybody here, you can't go for, uh, so I'm going to pick Pep Guardiola. You can't go from having Pep Guardiola being your manager to Greg Berhalter, 
with all due respect. It's it, yeah. it's an issue. Yeah. Outliers aside, because there could be incredible exceptions, and there are exceptions in this life across all domains. It could be that a nobody exists, and then somebody comes into that nobody's sphere, and that somebody's like, oh my God, I don't know who you are, but you are a fucking genius, animal, amazing. I have massive respect for you. But those are outrageous outliers, Kev. Mm -hmm. So I'm speaking in general terms here. You know what I'm getting at? It's like, you can't have Christian who's had Tuchel, who's had Klopp. You can't have all these guys. And then, you, and then you're coming and you're managed by somebody that's not even remotely close to that. It, mm -hmm. It's a problem. And it's going to be a growing problem going into 2026. And it's a problem because, in yep. my opinion, I think U.S. soccer slash MLS, because for me, they're one and the same. They want an American boy to be their manager for the U.S. men's national team. They want an MLS American MLS boy yeah. to, be, to be the manager. Yeah. Whether it be Jesse Marsh, whether it be Burmese, whether it be like you just name it. Okay. All, all these guys who are former MLS players, American players, that's probably what they want. And yeah, that, there might be a conflict brewing between that and what the players want and need and respect, you yeah. see? So I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. I just see this on the horizon and your yeah. reactions would be awesome. Yeah, I, I see it as well. I mean, I could see, like you said, like you mentioned, Christian Pulisic, all these players, they start looking at it and they understand they have a, they don't have a, a long shelf life in this, right? Like this next World Cup is the, the biggest World Cup ever in their lives. It is the one, the, the one after in, in 2030, they'll be at the tail end. And so this is the one coming up. So you want to make sure that you're prepared and that you're, everybody's at top level, the coaching staff, everyone. And I think I, I'm, I'm with you. Like when I saw, this just hit my head. And when I saw Walker Zimmerman being pit for the game, and, and it's fine that some people think he should got pit, but I just thought, man, MLS is just making sure someone from their league is for sure in this match. You have to be able to say this guy, someone from the league has to be in the match. And that's not based off of merit or, or, or I'm not saying, and I don't want to take anything away from Walker Zimmerman. I'm just saying it, it, unfortunately that just hits my head, right? He's a pro, he's done everything. So that's, that's great. So I don't, so please people don't misconstrue what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, I think the league, like you said, with the coaching, I think there's, there's, Forces that we maybe never ever hear about or rumors that were maybe rumblings we'll hear about, whatever. That is the case, especially with the World Cup coming to the U.S. MLS is going to, like, this is their marketing platform for all time, right? So this is going to be the everything. So I'm with you. I think what will happen personally, this is what I think will happen. I think Jesse Marsh is able to last that lead for two more years. Well, then they'll keep Greg around for two years. Let him do another Gold Cup or whatever tournament that we just supposed to win or whatever right i think jesse will coach at Leeds maybe for two more years and then i think he'll i think for him personally it'll be too big to pass up coaching the world cup in the u.s i think it's too big because even at Leeds, i don't i don't look too much i like i haven't analyzed his work so i'm not going to say it's good or bad or anything but even at Leeds, like i don't see i don't see how he goes much higher you know what I mean? As of right now, 
Like, I don't see how he goes much higher. So I think I think after doing that for a couple more years and if he's able to stay in the prem and not get fired and all that stuff and, and do well, then he'll say, oh, it's been great. Now it's time to take this U.S. team. It's our golden team. I've, I'm, I'm the most senior, highest level coach in the U.S. as of right now from the U.S. who's been coaching in Europe. It kind of lead, it just lends itself to that. If I was the U.S. director and I was scared of, and, and I'm in the pockets of MLS and, and everyone, I would probably be thinking the same way. All right, look, man, do your thing for two more years and then let's get this team ready and, and it'll be your team and you never get a chance like this again. And it's, it, it just kind of comes together. And I think Greg will be like, cool, I've done this. I've played work. And, and he'll, he'll go get his little job somewhere and maybe start in Europe if he wants or take some other MLS team over. That's, that's what my mind is saying. Um, and I think also the, the, the murmurings, I think with Gio Reyna of that starting, I mean, Claudio's, Claudio's still a big dog too. So Claudio ain't going to let his boy just be like, he, he, they see this as a big missed opportunity. You got to, especially he's not just a soccer dad. He's in, he's in the game. He's in the game. So if I'm a little bit in the game and I'm like, all right, man, you ain't gonna play my boy like this. And you don't really know what you're doing either. <laughs> so that's probably how he feels. Um, not trying to put words in his mouth, but I'm just saying, if he's looking at that, he's like, all right, there's going to be some changes. I'm pretty sure Ernie, all of them played together. There's going to be conversations. And then Ernie, Brian McBride, they have to, I think they have to make decisions too. I, I don't even think they're from, I'm not sure if they were the same generation with Grant Bullhart. Maybe they, they probably did play together. Not sure, but, but then you also wonder at the top, how much Ernie, because I, I met with Ernie Stewart back in 2013. I don't know if I told you that. And he had always said he wanted to be a part of U.S. soccer. I won't reveal too much, but he said there definitely needed to be changes. And I'll leave it at that. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy that he's there. I'm not sure how much he's able to affect change or how good he is. I'm not going to raise, you know what I mean? It's like sure. so much going on. But I'm with you. I, to say, and to answer your question, Greg, we should already be saying goodbye. Thank you very much. Kev, he will not be there four years from now. There's just, there's no way. I don't put it past, I don't put it past these people, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, listen, how many limits? Well, he doesn't have to qualify for the tournament. And right. That's true. We're not, are we going to play Copa America? No. Are we going right. to, are we going to squeak through Gold Cup? Look, Gold Cup, I, I'm calling it right now. Canada is going to win Gold Cup. They're going to win even, it. Bro, even, even the fucking name Gold Cup makes me think of. Oh, I know. Well, we're going to go play in that little kitty thing. Hey, <laughs> exactly. You know, and we're going to, we're going to win it. We're going to, I mean, no, we're going to, we're going to play against Canada. They're going to beat us like 2-1 in the final. It'll be epic. And they, they're, they're a little bit more on the rise. They, they act a little bit. They, they're more about football anyway than, than the U.S. is, I think. At least the leaders at the top, maybe. But. Okay. So, 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 but he's not lasting for you. It's not going it, to, come on. No, 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 no. no I'm, say, I'm saying, I'm saying, should he be gone? Yes. I feel that we should, we need a change in direction. Now, I don't want to advocate for someone to lose their job or something because you know, I respect it. But do, if you yeah. ask me, do I, do I think he's what we need to go to the next level? No, not in my opinion. So I'll say that. So I, I, I do wish we, we, we have someone who could help take us to the next level. Now, it's just two decisions on what we do with that, right? Do we start? Are there any young U.S. coaches coming through who would have the stature and the mindset or who are going to go to Europe who can make that name? I don't know. We don't know right now. So that's why Jesse Marsh is probably going to be the, at least from a stature standpoint, the pick, right? Um, but, but Kev, but what about the respect of the players? Because I, I started this whole thing out about oh. players, right? Ha having 
been under these prestigious managers and they're more so over the course of the next two, three years, coming back to the national team for 2026 in the United States World Cup and what's going through their mind if they have a non-elite manager at the, at the helm. So does Jesse Marsh fit that bill? Or is, ever, is Christian and all the, and McKinney and all these guys gonna be like, oh yeah, okay, good. Like I can understand Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams presuming that they are going to be part of that part of that core group presuming because anything can happen yeah yeah oh Jesse's my guy like he coached me at New York he coached me at Salzburg or whatever he brought me to Leeds made basically made my career you know so there's this whole loyalty thing going on they won't have an issue how about everybody else yeah I think guys I mean and this is what Christian, especially around 2018, was in a very unique position where he was almost, he had the player power, mm-hmm. meaning everyone, people were talking about Christian one day competing for Ballon d'Or. It was, it was you know, too much hype, Stupid but still yeah. too much hype. But at least from a player power, power perspective, he's about to go to Chelsea. Like, he's like, look, missed out on this World Cup. There needs to be a hit quest. He could make calls to people and say, look, look, what is going on? Maybe not so much now. Maybe he can, but maybe not so much now. I think there will be an inquest. What's going on? Who's being picked? I'm pretty sure that's happening behind closed doors. There's influence, people trying to influence it, which is going to happen. Fair enough. Um, it really comes down to how much are the directors really co- controlled by MLS? Mm. That's my opinion. How much the U.S. soccer? Mm. How much is Ernie, Ernie and Brian? Are they able to go out and pick and who do they their job and do their job? If they're not able to go do their job, then we're going to have different situations. I just think Jesse probably makes the most sense because of just the stature thing. I think they will also try to bring a certain staff over that wouldn't have to be American. But I think Je- what happens with Jesse was good is that he's been able to have a structure behind him. Yeah. Which no most, most good people have anyway. Like if you're good, you're, you're not, you normally don't try to be the smartest one at everything. You want to have some yeah. people just know more shit than you're at. So I could see that happening where they put a structure behind him. I could see... People like Ralph Ragnick coming in. Um, I can see that whole Jesse, yeah, like helping. Mm-hmm. I can see, I can see it because mm-hmm. the U.S. is gonna be like, okay, we got Jesse. He's gone to Red Bull. He's gone that. They're very close to. I'm pretty sure all, everyone's connected. I could see that type of thing happen. It wouldn't surprise me if that didn't happen because it's like I said, it's a once in a lifetime World Cup. It's gonna be the biggest. It's gonna be the biggest World Cup. I mean, everybody can travel to the U.S. They can't. They can't have a foreign manager, right? With the with the. Yeah, I don't. I don't see Ralph. I don't see Ralph being the coach. I'm saying mm-hmm. be a part of the setup. Yes, I think they could put a structure around it where you try to put the structure around it where the players will respect it. You get no, I mean? I'm just. I'm just. I'm just saying. Like, you don't think there there could be a foreign coach for the U.S. I think it could. I think the only foreign coach. That could come in and people will love it culturally and everything is cool. Got you. And okay. he might would do it. He might Got do you. it. Because culturally he can relate. He's one thing. So everyone's going to shut the fuck up and listen to him. Um, yeah, he's got he's got that sort of Klinsman-esque charisma with with the oh, public oh. and with the media and all that sort of stuff or whatever. And he ha- and he has the pedigree above and beyond Klinsman. And, uh, like, and he could he could really come in and kind of challenge the status quo. He could come in. He could actually come in and say, "I want to play Copa America. If you want me, we're playing Copa America." Yeah, right. And then people will be like, "Oh, we don't want to do it," but you know what? Why not? In fact, 
even the people that try to protect themselves with all this shit, this is the time to play Copa America because you, you, you don't, we don't have anything that's going to help get us anywhere remotely prepared. You kind of have to. We you have to. to. You have to. We you have no choice. We have to, and we should just set up a say. You know how they did that Centario one that we set up with? Yes. I always call that the fake Gold Cup. A uh, fake, fake, the fake one. Even though I think it's a fake one too. It's a it's a fake one, but even though South America, they still come with the passion. They still celebrate sure. like crazy. They should also do another. Fa- they should do a. Fa- they should invite them to the Gold Cup. They said, well, "Look, you guys are gonna. We're both gonna play in each other's tournaments before this World Cup happens, so that we're all ready." I would do it. I think the U.S. players need to have that experience. They need to be playing against these guys. Um, I think the South Americans love coming to this side to play because it's it's way more playing in Europe. That's not their culture, man. But you come back to this side, you're gonna feel your culture, and it's it's big. But no, like I said, to answer your question, Greg won't be there because uh, the powers that be they'll make sure he's not there. I don't think he's also done enough. Uh, not even done enough. I don't think. Uh, the, I think he. Thank you for your service. That's yeah, and I, I just don't think the players will tolerate that. And I also think that from Greg's perspective, with all due respect, me being presumptuous here, yeah. if you're Greg, you're like, hmm, I think this is a good time to exit. Like, I came in after the country did not qualify and all this turmoil or whatever. I came in, I brought in a fresh new crop of faces. Uh, we did well. We kind of proved that we're above Mexico. Yeah. We advanced out of the group stage of the World Cup. Like we, fo- I, like I did a good job. Like yeah. I am going. My legacy is I did a great job with the U.S. men's national team from the perspective of the United States media and base. So, like, why ruin that? Like, you, there's only downside to this, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. It it, it goes too long, and already you start. If it's with Gio Reyna and then all the other players that were supposed to be selected but not selected, and you just saw this, you just started seeing these selection problems and things going on. If I were him, I'd say, yeah, this is good. I'd, you know, and it's and it's and and Kef, like I don't know. From my perspective, I think the fan base, little by little, is getting smarter and smarter and smarter, just little bit. And I I feel the chair of the U.S. men's national team coach is getting hotter and hotter as time progresses and they're not used to that sort of hot seat. Yeah. And well, so I, I kind of feel like, oh shit, like f- Jesus Christ, I'm well, going to play- all over the place. Well, from the player perspective, like I said, the players, if they have way more ego than you and you can't walk in the room and command respect, even on that first walk-in, you're, you're not a good job. Dead. You're done. Yeah, that's not a good job. Mm-hmm. They, 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 you'll tell them this and they just look at you like, man, you just, you don't know what you're talking about, right? And I think, and I think that's what's happening. That exactly, and that's what's happening. So right now, they just did the work. They're gonna run for you because it's U.S. It's World Cup. But the next one, twenty twenty six, because you don't have to, you're not even gonna have that pressure of finding out if the players are right or the coach is right. If they kept them, it's a firestorm. It'd be a shit show because as soon yeah, as man. if they struggle and they don't do well and they don't win and all that stuff, by the second game you're home, people it'll be a now heads roll. Probably he like said. Maybe we should let it happen and like let people know our home soul, good, good soil. Because you know, you, you see people now, even on Twitter, you're seeing the neutral fans start to, the US team is this. Like people are starting to like look at it more. It's coming, right? But I mean, it's always been there in a way, right? People looking at the game, especially during the World Cup. But this one, the, the, the I, it's going to be the show of shows, you know? Yeah. Everyone's going to want to be at this thing. There's going to be a lot of things are probably building in excitement for it right now, right? four years ago yeah. but 
yeah, man, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm definitely going to, I'm definitely going to be there for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Last thing before yeah. I let you go, because it's 2 a.m. for me. Yeah. Um, and, and this will probably be published two days from now. Because yeah, no I have to do editing or whatever, but your semifinal pick. Can you do that? Who's in the semis? Who's in the semis? I'm going straight coach. So I'm going to go Argentina, Brazil, France, and is it uh, like Portugal and Spain can meet each other, right? In the quarterfinals. Right. And Portugal. I think it ends up being France, Portugal, Brazil, Argentina. Wow. All right. Very good. Okay. But it's interesting that you kind of forgot about Portugal. You're like, oh, who's in the other? And like, you don't even you don't even consider those other fools. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of like, hey, sure, but kind of like no, they they could be very dangerous from the standpoint of they still have quality everywhere, and they could, you know, yeah, it's terrible no question. football. But but it, but it's interesting from a American soccer fan base perspective. Like like that little hesitation on your end is like. Who's over on that side? Like, yeah. who? It, it, oh, it, is it Portugal? Portugal, but Portugal has Bruno Fran, Fernandez, fucking oh. like Cristiano Ronaldo. You got fucking, you got incredible quality everywhere, talent and quality all over the field. And you are like, wait, who's over there? Like, psh, yeah. that, no, that, I would say this, fucking winning. <laughs> hey, no, no, I'll say this. I would say that Portugal is the third in depth, depth wise, is the third, the third, uh, best in the world cup depth you know after you get past the first 11 they just have they still have quality coming off the bench yeah so but no but it, they aren't winning because you would remember them inside and out they aren't they aren't winning bro are they winning the world cup is portugal it could winning happen. The world I, cup? I just i just think it could happen i mean this is this is the thing like france scares france to me is just still the one because i just think france is like what they call the beauty and the beast they could they could look to try to dominate play on you. I don't know if they have, I don't know if Robbie on Griezmann are the thinkers to control tempo so much. Mm-hmm. I still think they're a little bit transitional. They'll move the ball around and make runs, but they, 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 France, the only thing that France is missing, in my opinion, is the guide to the Pirlo, the Zavi. That's the only guy they're missing. I'm pretty sure they have it, but they, they tend not to pick that person too much. I mean, Pogba can do it, but Pogba's more of the finishing touch, I think. But so that's the only thing France doesn't have too much. But then it it, it still doesn't matter because if you're like, Mbappe is always going to be open, but and Dembele is always going to be open because you cannot come up and press them. So if they just start wide, you cannot come up. It, it, no right back or left back is going to run at them. You have to give the space because if you come. And he fakes that little run, and he just makes that run in behind. Your whole defense, it, it, that's the trump card with France. You know what I mean, no, it's it's devastating, dude. It's it's, a, it's like it's like having two fucking missiles or nuclear weapons on the wings right there. You're, yeah, you're, the, the the right backs and left backs don't even have to make really. I mean, I know uh, Theo Hernandez comes up for overlaps, but they really don't have to. They could sit in the midfield and help them block off your counter. Then, so, yes. so to me, they're just so. And they're tactically astute, and then they got to kill. Mbappe mentally is a killer at these moments. Like that's the part that 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 makes me think, like, damn, he's gonna, he's a problem because he just has this this when it's the moment, he wants the moment. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but anything could happen. Anything could happen. Like I said, I mean, you know, and the other, the other ingredient is like because you have those two assassins. Yeah. Like the opposing outside backs can't. 
go forward and attack. They can't. Like you, you just can't do it. You have to fucking chill. You have to chill and be with those fucking guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and that kills that's your why, attack. Yeah, the, and like you said, everything's a thing of matchups. That's why, like, okay, Argentina's probably like, please let, don't want France in the final. Do not want France in the yeah, final. Correct. I yeah, want we'll Spain in the final. Huh? I want Spain. I want Spain in the yeah, final. I want Spain in the final because Messi will just uh, he'll fuck them up with his time. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, you don't want them in the. You don't. It's like it's just too much. And I think the only other team that can really rock with France, you know, on every other is kind of Brazil. Brazil is like the only one who's like, okay, we can sit back. But even them, they have to think like, oh, okay, you know, do we want to be in the? It's it. It'd be a Fascinating, but I think it's gonna be fascinating anyway. I think Argentina, Brazil, just through the history and the culture, Messi's final game, Neymar trying to prove something, that'll be fascinating. Um, Portugal, France, or Portugal, Spain, or, or Spain, Spain, France would be fascinating. Um, could Spain dominate enough and break down France? Because France has been giving up chances, but it's like that boxer, like ah, oh, you think you're getting some, then they just boom, they knock you the hell out. That's the problem with France. It doesn't matter. They got the knockout punch. And that's what happened with England, Senegal, right? Yeah. England just like punched them in the fucking mouth. Enough. When Senegal was like having chances, kind of in control, England had generated nothing. Yep. And then like, oh, a chance here, two chances there, boom, boom, two zero, you're fucked. Game over. And then the same, and the same thing with the Netherlands, United States. It's yep. kind of like, oh, Netherlands not really generating all too much. The U.S. has the ball or whatever, but counterattack here, punch in the mouth. Another yeah. counterattack there, punch in the mouth, game over. Yeah, I feel if you're gonna play that way, every if you're gonna play the way that Spain and all those those teams play, your midfielders, everybody has to be so in tune, and they have to believe, they have to know, not even believe, they have to know they're the fucking best. Yeah, because then Bro, Spain. Yeah. I don't know if you watched all their games so far, but Spain, even against Germany, would build out every single time within their own 18 yard box it yeah. didn't matter yeah you had five germans in your own 18 yard box and they're like oh we're gonna play out i, yeah, don't, it, I don't care but like you said like body like we said body the body start from the mm -hmm. youth it's been preached it's been preached it's been preached it's been known so by the time if you don't do that everyone's like what the fuck are you doing if you if you can't play like this what the fuck are you doing right we're not preaching those things so by the time I don't think people understand the mentality of what every word that comes out of a coach's mouth or organization's mouth and influences you, influences your psyche. So if you tell yeah. old kids to be fearful, you tell them they can't do something, you just, that, people could take it either way, but like, if they don't give a fuck, they overcome it, but, or you could be crushing. And that's why development is so like, we need these competing ideas because it, it's, it's so fragile. You know what I mean? You're yeah, destroying players everywhere. And it's like, like you said, you said Spain, they're doing it because they would be screened out the other way if they didn't try it, if they didn't do it. It's who they are. That's who they are. And they look at their culture too. They're like, wait, this is style our players. This is, this is who we have. It's just, it's just, it sucks. For, you wish Brazil has this too. Brazil and France, it's like, they're great, right? And they're great individuals, everything. But sometimes not too transitional, but you wish you could mix countries together. If you can mix like one or two Spanish midfielders in with France and Brazil, it's over because they stretch you everywhere. They're going to build up. They're going to counter. They're going to have you 1v1. And I guess, I guess God didn't want to give everybody everything yet. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, but no, man, it's, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited, man.
All right, my boy. All Let's right. call it a wrap. This is our longest one ever. All right, Probably my longest one ever. Thanks, man. No, no. Hey, thanks for coming on. As usual, it's a pleasure talking to somebody who actually knows football, somebody who's overseas, who isn't brainwashed in <laughs> in a certain methodology. No, it matters, man. It matters that when somebody has exposure to so many different ideas and isn't married necessarily to anyone, like, I think that's the key. I think that's the key, man. And I think you have it. You've had it growing up from the culture that you were brought up in to the country that you were brought up in to leaving into playing one to leaving the country and playing also overseas successes slash failures all over the place, coaching here in the U S leaving the U S coaching overseas, exploring all the business opportunities that you have there, having kids overseas, like, bro, you have a, a wide ranging breadth of experience. And be, in my opinion, because of that, I think that develops somebody's immune system, so to speak, to, to not be brainwashed so easily. It, 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 I don't know. I don't know if that's insulting to you, if that's complimentary. What? It's no, just my man, perspective. It's just my perspective. And that's who I, that's who I roll with, man. That's who I vibe with. And I, I think people like that have a lot to offer. I aspire to do things like that as well. I've always been in Southern California. I've visited many places across the world, spent time. Obviously, my culture, as you well know, is not from the United States, my heritage. But what you've done is remarkable. Um, keep doing what you're doing, man. Oh, no, man. Thank, no, you. thank you, man. My, my, my story wouldn't be as good as it wouldn't be as good as if I had to meet you guys and, uh, and correspond with you guys as well. So, you know what 343 is meant to me. So. We just, hey, we just got to keep putting up the good fight and uh, it's always good to connect, my brother. We keep going. All right, Kev, love you. Love you. Enjoy the World Cup. Love we'll you, catch man. up again in a couple of days. All right, brother. Hey, we'll, 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 we'll definitely uh, wrap a little bit before Argentina. Oof. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. And if you're interested in a solution that blends both academics and soccer, there's even the opportunity to do this in Europe as well. To learn more, visit acceleratorschool.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.